Welcome to Splain It. A podcast where two guys explain things to each other. That they should know. But don't. I'm Jeff Sims. And I'm Evan Smith. Welcome, Evan, to this amazing, amazing episode. Episode three zero. We are about to have a midlife crisis, baby! <laughs> midlife crisis well, in not, the no, house. Not, not really midlife, I guess. It's, it's more, like more like a third life. Third life crisis, yeah. Third life. That makes it sound that, like it's the third crisis you've had. <laughs> or you're like, this is your third life. Or it's one third of my life. Yeah, I know that's what you meant, but yeah. it's not how my brain took it. No. What else is new? <laughs> um, I'm going to close the uh, Podloft door. Okay, thank you. Podloft's dog. <laughs> what? <laughs> so it kind of, Pod, Podloft's dog? That's what it kind of sounded like, the Podloft, when I slurred my words. <laughs> I'm going to close the Podloft's dog. <laughs> That'd be a cool way to, like, cognitive rhyming slang door. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Pavlov's dog. It doesn't work. It doesn't it, work. It, but it would be cool if it, like, if it's just, like we just started calling a door, like, oh, just close the Pavlov's dog anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah? like it. I like it. That's work. Well, let's continue to use that. Say anything with a British accent. It just sounds right. And you'll, you can get away with it. You can. You can take over the world. Yep. This is an instrumental episode. Like we said, we've hit number 30, which is very exciting for us. Uh, it's exciting for me, at least. Never I'm not thought gonna, we'd get here. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> We're so happy that all of our 30 listeners are actively listening. I'm joking. I hope there's more. There are more. You know what you need? What do we need? You need one more person to listen per episode. So that exponentially it will yeah. grow. Yep. Yep. Or double the amount. Ooh. One to two, two to four, four to eight. It doesn't take long before we're up in the double digits. Double digits, baby! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so major correction for me personally. Okay. And this is that a, a hot topic of conversation last week when we were talking about the gunpowder treason and plot was that the Protestants all... Um, like celebrated or the rather the Catholic. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I remember now. Um, or sorry that the, the Catholic, the Catholic celebrated, celebrate the bonfire day or that they celebrate Guy Fox day. They do not. Mm-mm. It is the Protestants yes. who celebrate that because the King wasn't killed. Exactly. It wasn't yeah. in celebration of Guy Fox almost killing somebody. <laughs> no, 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 it was not. And not just killing one person, blowing up an entire parliament. <laughs> yeah. It was, in celebration. Yeah, I don't know how I got that literally backwards. Yeah, literally backwards. Yeah. Proud yeah. of you, though. Yeah, I just missed the word not, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the exact sentence, but without the negative <laughs> the words. Because Catherine mentioned it. She was like, oh, yeah, you know, the government celebrates Guy Fox Day. And I was like, really? Hmm? She was like, why? And I was like, well, you know, I guess you're going to find out why it's weird. But yeah. it's uh, weird. Idiots. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it stopped being religious-y. Like, I'm sure there are... I don't think it was ever a religious... Oh, actually... Well, it was only a religious thing. It was Catholics versus Protestants, the whole thing, if you recall. I don't. You don't recall any yes, of it? Yes, I recall it oh. when I'm being a It was all about religion. Yeah. So, like, I wonder... But now I don't think it's, like, Catholics are like, oh, well, we won't celebrate that. Like, I think just, like, everybody's like, bonfire night. Yeah. Burn think, it up. Yeah. I think yeah. it's like, we've had this holiday, so we're going to continue to have the holiday. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Don't take my plate. Nope. Um, then there's also Scream versus Scary Movie. Okay. <laughs> I need to hear you say it. Wada! Wada! Yeah, not from Scream. Mm. Um, thank you, Catherine, for that sending. I appreciated the um, the backup in the um, argument in our in our um, text chain. Yes. Um, as well, update 
on the breaking news of the week, mm. as we like to term it now, starting last week, and it's the same news. It's the monolith. Have you have you heard have you heard about the updates? No, I have not. Oh, Jeff, there are updates. Yay! So the one in Utah, no longer there, disappeared. Good. Area gone. 51, that's where it's to. It's gone. Los Alamos. There was a new one Ooh. in Romania. What? Not in the adjacent state. Not on the other side of the country. Not even in Canada. No. Nope. In Romania. Mm. There's another one. Of course. It has also disappeared. Dum, dum, dum. I mean, it's an art installation. But I don't know what's happening and who's in on it. But it's cool. It's funny. But like the guys from Utah didn't go up to Romania. They could have. It wasn't the same one, though. It was like slightly different, so they know it wasn't the same. Or the people saw it and were like, let's do that too, which is really lame. Like if like there's an art installation and then like they're not linked. Yeah. You know what I mean? The other guy's like, I'm going to do that too. I think that's a cool idea. It's kind of like taking information that you didn't write and use it on a public forum to explain things to different people. I mean, a little bit. It's a, a little, little bit. It's a, it's a little bit like that, sort I'd say. Of. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, the things you learn. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's learning. Um, I don't know if any of this is. No. But uh, what I do know is I have a fun time with my friend that is... at least 30 times this year. Yeah. yeah. Well, I shouldn't say minimum. that. Probably 28. Two of, the, two of the episodes I didn't have fun. No. They're... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can you guys guess which two episodes Evan wasn't engaged in? Write us now and you can win a free t-shirt. <laughs> just well, tell Evan us which Evan... episodes Evan hated. <laughs> Hint, it's not this one. No, not Cheers, yet. buddy. Cheers, dude. Ka-chank. Um, so, yeah. So, those are the corrections from last week that I'm, yeah. I've been made aware of. Yes. Um, on to the, the topics of the day. Indeed. Actually, before we dive into the content, yes. there is something very important that we should mention. Go on, Jeff. Today is Giving Tuesday. And it is Giving Tuesday. It is. It is the day that follows the madness of Black Friday weekend, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and into the craziness of Cyber Monday. Yes. You say so, that so confidently, and yet I explained that to you today. <laughs> that's, that's how, how that's amazing how quick, I am. It's how quick you retain information. It's yes. very good. Or my ability to regurgitate bullshit. <laughs> also that. Yeah. Um, so in a, in a world of, we'll say, capitalism and consumerism and buying things and all that kind of fun stuff that is craziness of holidays, uh, it's nice to take a day to give to people who are less fortunate and who are in need. Absolutely, Jeff. And so what we've decided to do is, as a little side project for the Splainin' Podcast, that we are actually going to start a donation base through Facebook to go towards... The Gathering Place. Absolutely. It's a local um, uh, uh, charity, I guess you'd call them. Um, and they are involved with the food banks. They give out Christmas food hampers. They help provide services um, and opportunities to those who need them. Um, it's just an amazing place. And it's just a little local place that we thought like we could just help our own community. Absolutely. Um, and, and why not? And Well, exactly. Why not? So rather than just have it as a day fundraiser, we thought, let's let's lengthen it out. Let's let it be the month. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's just a fact that once the Christmas, like the Christmas season is filled with giving. And um, so rarely do they have issues Christmas time because so many people remember the food bank because they really put a big push on for Christmas. Yep. When January rolls around and people sort of go back to regular life, the donations do take tend to take a bit of a dip. Yep. So we thought we're going to fundraise through December and then donate the money. We'll, we'll get all the money 
in January. Yeah. When it's really going to be needed again. I think it's a really good idea. Yep. Yeah. Me too. So you got until the new year. You got until the new year. Until the 31st of December. December. If you donate $3 a day <laughs> for 31 days. <laughs> $102. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and do that and give back to our community. Excellent. Now, back to our show. <laughs> there was nowhere to put in a break before. That's fine. I just wanted to say back to... Now let's get into the content. The content. I think you're first. The content. Indeed I am. Cool. So... I didn't know how long we wanted to do the jingle thing. I felt like I just put a pin in it. Or a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Lit a match and dumped gasoline on it. So... Would that work? What? You, well, just the order that you said that in. Rather than pour gasoline and light a match, you said lit a match and pour gasoline on it. If you poured gasoline on a like... Yes, it'll burn. It will not smother the flame. It wouldn't? Mm, depends on how much gasoline. I feel like if you poured gasoline, poured it over a match, it would just put the match well, out. Well, actually, funny enough... Although, no, it like, probably wouldn't because it all gas, takes a spark. Gas will actually, like, from a, like a gas tank or something like that, if you open it up and some of it evaporates or if there's enough pressure in, like, it's the liquid and there's a gas form, yeah. the gas can actually catch... And light the the actual liquid. Yes. So it may actually catch before the liquid has the opportunity to smother it and therefore continue uh, the combustion. Oh, yeah. I don't have that answer. I think we should go experiment. I'll see you outside. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. I <laughs> don't have Jeff, eyebrows. Jeff has to go to the hospital, so we'll be back next week. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, so this week, um, after doing We Didn't Start the Fire, um, I have a topic to kind of branch from that, which is the Manhattan Project. Manhattan, New York City. Yeah. That's the jingle for the Manhattan Project segment of the episode. Oh, I I talked no, about no, this. no. Perfect. Okay, oh. good. I'm glad. Um, so as I was doing re- research on the Manhattan Project, uh, I thought, Evan, what do you know about the Manhattan Project? Um, I know it came up during We Didn't Start the Fire. Like I just said. You just said that? Evan doesn't friggin' listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I, there's no, like, they don't say Manhattan Project. No. In the title. Oh, it was, like, other things. Other things. Right. It's Russian. Sure. It's a Russian thing. Right? Maybe. Russia's definitely... It's, well, is it the CIA mind control-y stuff? No. Oh, I don't know what... Don't well, know then let me dive in. in. Oh, no, I know it. It's the Russian spies... Like come into the country and like they're undercover and no one knows they're a Russian spy. Well, so okay, this is this is where it comes into play. A little okay, bit. okay. So the Manhattan Project itself is interesting in itself because right. of what it is. But I think what I'm going to more explain is the relationship to what you just said, which is the Manhattan Project in accordance in accordance with the Russian spies and kind okay. of how that relationship panned out to create the Cold War. Right. Yeah. So it's a sad and unfortunate reality that some of the greatest advances in science have come from some of the most devastating acts. Mm. Torture, slavery, the Holocaust, and of course, the creation of the atomic bomb. German chemist Fritz Hayter, for example, figured out how to fix nitrogen from the atmosphere to create gigantic bombs. They were used to kill people in World War I. His technology was also used to make the world's first synthetic fertilizers, which then revolutionized how the world feeds itself. Mm. Hmm. 
Gunpowder was discovered by ancient China, uh, sorry, ancient Chinese alchemists, but was developed by Europeans who then used it to conquer half of the world. Right. Yeah. Nailed it. Science is not to blame. It is history. And it is what we decide to do with these discoveries that can either create and embellish or destruct and destroy. Okay. There is no better example of this than the work done by the Manhattan Project. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Manhattan Project ran for only a couple of years during the beginning of World War II. Okay. It was ran predominantly by the U.S., and it took $2 billion, which is roughly compared to $25.8 billion today. Wow. Yeah. If you were to take $2 billion today and... Is it Nova Scotian money? Then? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, there's a vast collection of some of the smartest chemists and physicists that the world had to offer. Okay. They were collected and through their collective studies created four bombs. Oh. First, the uh, the gadget. Which Why was... do these people do this? Because they were just like seeking like something else to like invent something. What do you mean? Like why did these scientists like, yeah, okay, we'll build a giant bomb. Perfect. Well, so when I was doing the research, but I left it out of the topic, um, around 1934, 37, there yeah. was a scientist who um, hypothesized that you could split the atom right. and cause devastation and destruction. Okay. Uh, patent the idea so that no one else could do it, then later sold the patent to Britain. Right. And once they started discovering, oh, this is stuff we can do, they're in they just finished World War One. Yeah. Tensions are building for World War Two. Right. It, World War Two has started or is about to start. And they're like, we need to start getting on this to figure out how we can, you know, yeah. weaponize this to kind of win the war. Mm. So that's what the US did. They created a specific group and they call the Manhattan Project. Cool. To put them together to figure out how to actually create the atomic weapon. Interesting. So they made four bombs. First, the gadget, the test bomb uh, that was detonated in the desert of New Mexico. Okay. Second, called Little Boy, which dropped on Hiroshima. Oh. Third, called Fat Man, which was dropped on Nagasaki. And fourth, that was thankfully never used. Oof. Yeah. Although the atomic bombs ended World War II, they effectively started the Cold War. Mm. Roughly 50 years of everyone sitting at home, desperately scared that they were going to be incinerated at any moment. It was a tense point in history with the U.S. and Russia at constant arms, aiming nuclear weapons at each other, ready for the other to strike. As mentioned before, the research completed by the Manhattan Project was detrimental to future, to future weaponry and warfare, but it also taught us a lot about the atom real quickly. Mm. If it hadn't been for the top-secret development program, none of those physicists would have ever been able to discover what they did. Right. Or at least it would have been drawn out over decades. Right. Um, so let's just dive into what they actually discovered. Okay. And like all their superpowers as well, I'd like to know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, obviously they, they worked in nuclear plants, so they're all obviously mutated now. Yeah. yeah. And like and they're they're like band, like the Justice League, they're the Manhattan Project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But they also have like a band? Called the Manhattan Project? It's actually the Beatles. They just renamed. They had to rebrand oh, a little bit. Oh, I see. It's okay. bad stigma. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, so before nuclear weapons became readily available, humans would often just destroy things uh, and ourselves using conventional bombs. Right. Casings full of explosives like Trinitrolululululu, which is otherwise known as... Trinitrolulululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululul
Try Nitro Toluene. 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 Toluene? Toluene, yeah. Oh, oh. Try Nitro. the evolved form of... Try Nitro Toluene. Try Nitro Toluene. Okay. TNT. No! The whole time was... Oh, God. Okay. Try Nitro Toluene. Just go. Okay. <laughs> or ammonium nitrate. Um, or many other explosive substances. Right. When detonated, most of these bombs release their energy in the form of a blast, designed to destroy upon impact and not to have much destructive power after the explosion. Right. By comparison, an atomic bomb uses an unstable radioactive isotope, like yourself, um, <laughs> of uranium or plutonium as the explosive. If you fire a single neutron... At a single atom of one of those radioactive isotopes, it can split the atom and shoot out other neutrons, which in turn splits neighboring atoms, creating a chain reaction of split atoms in a process called nuclear fission. Mm. All of this happens in about one picosecond, or picosecond. This seems fast. Yeah, I and mean, then it's smaller in, than a second. It's yeah. smaller than a millisecond. Yeah. So Nanosecond. Yeah, is nano less than milla? Yes. Probably. So then what's pika? Pikachu? <laughs> no. Uh, and obviously there comes an unbelievable amount of energy and heat released. Is it spelled P-E-K-A? P-I-C-C-O. Oh, I wanted to be like peck a second. <laughs> <laughs> peck a second. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The release is so powerful because it unleashes energy from the most powerful force known to physics, the rightly named strong force. <laughs> nice. Which is not to be confused with the force. No, may the strong force be with you, yeah. never said. <laughs> never the force. Uh, which is arguably considered the second most powerful force in physics, and one that can be read about in the iconic novel <laughs> written by Sheev Palpatine titled Darth Plagueis the Wise, A Tragedy. <laughs> Strong force is what holds an atom's nucleus together, pulling atoms and neutrons close to one another, but also keeping them from getting too close. It's a very tense dynamic kind of subatomic push and pull. One. <laughs> I wish everyone could see the shoulder movements you did when you said subatomic push and pull. <laughs> the, the way the eye just inflected it, now you can imagine his shoulders. Yeah. One kilogram of nuclear fission, um, fuel, sorry, uh, can release 20 million times more energy than a kilogram of TNT. Wow. About 50% of the energy released in a nuclear detonation is a blast, similar to the conventional bomb. 35%. A blast, like no fire, like just like crazy, be, crazy moving air. Yeah, and there's probably fire, I'm sure. Yeah. 35% released is heat, mm. and about 15% is nuclear radiation in the Ugh. form of gamma rays, neutrons, and alpha and beta particles. The radioactive pulse emitted when an atomic bomb is detonated continues to linger in the form of nuclear fallout, a kind of dust made up of unused and spent fuel that begun, that's begun the process of radioactive decay. Mm -hmm. Up until 1932, no one even knew that this was possible. A special committee was created to discover how they could weaponize uranium-235 and get it from 238. They were called the Uranium Committee, later known as the Manhattan Project. Okay. Naturally occurring uranium is actually a mixture of two isotopes, or okay. forms of uranium. Ura ura <laughs> 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 ah! 
isotopes or forms of uranium with different numbers of neutrons in the nuclei. I kind of remember this from Kim. Yeah. Uranium-235 and uranium-238. Because they have different neutrons in their nuclei, they respond differently to having another neutron shot at them. I had a neutron in my nuclei once. (laughs) 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 So, uranium will bump up Sorry, uranium-235, yes. when given another uh, neutron, will bump up to uranium-236. How many uraniums are there? Well, there's, well, I mean, it's the same th- isotope, just with more neutrons in it. So each oh, time it goes right, like then, 235. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So when it gets bumped up to 236, it becomes incredibly unstable uh, and will therefore undergo fission at a lot more readily or sorry, a lot more readily than uranium-238 would. Right. Because 238 would just absorb the neutron to become uranium-239, which is very stable. Okay. Most of the committee's work was to find out how they could separate U-235, um, which makes up less than 1% of the world's natural uranium, okay. from U-238. They found out that they could do it, um, they could do so by combining it with fluorine to form a gas that could then be filtered to find the isotope that they need. Okay. They then had to dis- had to discover the smallest amount of uranium two thirty five they would need in order to kickstart the nuclear chain reaction, and how fast they had to fire a neutron at uranium two thirty five in order for it to start. It's insane. Yeah, they ended up figuring all that out. Yeah, it took a couple of years. So the Manhattan Project. On August 15th, 1939, nuclear physicists Albert Einstein and Leo Zeeland sent a letter to President Roosevelt warning him that Germany was well on their way and and was well advanced in the development of a super bomb. Was Einstein German? He was American. Einstein was American? Hmm? Oh. I, I mean, he could have been born in Germany, maybe. Einstein's a very German name. Yeah, or like Jew. Yeah, Jewish name for sure. Um. Okay, yeah. sorry, go I'm on. not sure, actually, if I'm I being honest. I just feel like he had an accent. I don't know. Okay. We can find that out. Okay. Um, yeah, and they implored the president to act quickly to avoid global disaster. Okay. On September 1st, 1939, a war broke out in Europe. Obviously, World War II. In less than a year, continental Europe had fallen to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Roosevelt realized the necessity of developing the atomic bomb. Thus was born the Manhattan Project. Leslie Groves, an army general who was responsible for constructing the Pentagon, was appointed to head the nuclear project. Robert Oppenheimer was named head of scientific research. At Oppenheimer's request, a new top-secret scientific facility was constructed in the deserts of Los Alamos, New Mexico. Area 51? Area 51. Okay. The origin story. Yeah. Uh, This sleepy town became the safe haven for some of the brightest and smartest chemists, physicists, mathematicians, and engineers. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the world, in 1940, uh, Leonid Krasnikov, a young obscure obscure officer uh, from the Technical Scientific Department of the Soviet Secret Police, say that three times fast, (laughs) or the NKVD, made his own little discovery. He noticed that any research info on radioactive uranium had since disappeared from Western scientific journals. He came to the conclusion that it meant 
the beginning of practical development of a new weapon based on fission of uranium. This was a scary time for Krishnikov and the NKVD. They were being decimated by Stalin's purges. Okay. In 1940, he sent cables requesting any info on the atomic problem to our stations, uh, sorry, to their stations in New York, Berlin, Paris, and London. As early as September 1941, Moscow received a copy of nuclear plans contained in a 70-page report from the British Uranium Committee. A Soviet operative had taken the document directly off the desk of Winston Churchill. Oh, sure. He just walked in. He was like, hey, it was a great day on clothes. What's that hey, on your desk? <laughs> <laughs> what are you at, Winnie? <laughs> hey, look, a bird. <laughs> Grab the paper and go. While this was happening, spies and counterintelligence agents were sending cables warning of German efforts to develop a bomb. Soviet, uh, Soviet agent Charles which is a hilarious name, in London, sent calculations for an explosion mechanism. They discovered that the explosive force of a mere 10 kilos of uranium equaled the destructive impact of 1,600 tons of TNT. Wow. Yeah. The Soviet scientist wrote to Stalin, uh, Stalin to tell him that a nuclear weapon of that proportion could destroy Moscow or Berlin, depending on who the bomb was from. Wow. The state that has the nuclear bomb first will dictate its terms to the rest of the world. Yeah, kind of. It kind of would. Well, it did. Yeah. So Stalin then created his own operation against the Germans at Stalingrad and called it Uranium. Mm-hmm. It's creative. Yeah. Uh, in 1943, Stalin called a meeting in the Kremlin and ordered that the Soviets work on a nuclear uh, plant and to begin it immediately. Okay. Ironically... Stalin's victory in Stalingrad boosted the Manhattan Project as well. With good news from the Eastern Front and ger- that the Germans were bogged down in Soviet territory, Roosevelt could devote greater resources to his secret plan. In America, the best American and Western scientists were working to build the bomb. In Russia, nearly all of the scientific and economic resources were still fully engaged in the war against Germany. Only a few dozen physicists were involved in nuclear research, and they were in desperate need of resources and money. Mm. They did, however, have a fantastic resource. Okay. Their Russian intelligence were operating at full strength. So this is where it comes into play. Oh, they were getting all the info that the Americans were getting. Exactly. So this is where, like, it starts to get interesting. So like I said, the Manhattan Project themselves is like, it's a secret little group that created the atomic bomb. You're like, that's super interesting. Right. But what really is interesting about it is the Russians' involvement. Okay. Spring of 1943. Late one night, two senior MKVD officers hurried to the office of the counterintelligence. One of their key informants from New York just returned from the States. They worked out a plan um, to go for a top-secret operation to get classified info on the development of the atomic bomb in the West. The operation was codenamed Enormous. <laughs> the priorities were to identify the main bomb research centers in the States and get the names of the researchers and find out who among them were communist sympathizers. Okay. Which at a glance you'd be like, no one in America was a sympathizer of communism in the 1940s. And yet there were. There were. Many people believed that the success of World War II for the Allies would be on the backs of Russia. Mm -hmm. as they had the most confrontation with Germany because they bordered Germany. 
Fear of Nazi Germany and their further rise of power amongst Europe caused a lot of support for Russia, and they fought for them on many fronts. Uh, so a lot of Americans felt that if they supported Russia, right, Russia could then defeat Germany, and that could solve a problem. Right. So you got a lot of people who were like, oh, you're spies of Russia? Right. Well, let me tell you what we know so that right. you guys can then use this information to beat Germany. It was right. a little bit of that as okay. well. Um, and then also there was a lot of communists in America. Mm -hmm. There were several key espionage agents for the Soviets who focused on the atomic energy issue. In England, there was Kraus Fuchs, uh, who was a German-born communist and physicist who went to work and probably gave the Soviets more important info than any other spy. Mm -hmm. He offered his services to the Soviets. He one day just approached the Russian embassy in London and said, I want to help. <laughs> and they were like, okay. <laughs> Like, it was as simple as that, apparently. Uncle Sam wants me. Yeah. <laughs> In August of 1943, Churchill and Roosevelt melt, melt with, met with Mackenzie King in Quebec for a secret discussion. Melt with Mackenzie King. <laughs> They're just all in the hot tub. And Mr. Churchill, did you... Oh, my God. <laughs> The water's just like peach color. Oh, gross. I'm moving on. Uh, <laughs> Churchill, Churchill agreed to put his British nuclear research under American control. The nuclear program was straining and already overstretched to Britain's war budget. In England, the program was vulnerable to bombings, raids, and obviously espionage. Mm -hmm. Churchill's crucial decisions boosted nuclear allied efforts by the end of 1943. Leading nuclear physicists from England when arriving, uh, sorry, leading them to arrive in the United States from England. They okay. sent a lot of their physicists to the U.S. Uh, Charles Krauss-Fuchs was one of them. He reestablished contact with his Soviet Russian and gained a new handler in the U.S. Little did he know that he was the part of the final links in an elaborate Soviet atomic spy ring within the United States. Mm. The ring was controlled out of the Soviet consulate in Manhattan near Central Park. There were three operators or handlers running the operations under the sight of one main Soviet commander who was sent from Moscow. They were overwhelmed with the amount of work they had and actually how many people they had to attend to. Stalin grew impatient and demanded results. He pushed the Soviet spies to increase their spy ring and gain more intel from the ever-growing success of the Americans. They then picked up one of their most important spies, one that came directly from Los Alamos. Mm -hmm. The youngest major spy in modern history, he was the most brilliant physicist that the U.S. has ever produced. He went through Harvard at the ripe age of 15, graduating as a physics major at 18. Whoa. He was immediately recruited to Los Alamos uh, to work on the nuclear bomb. His name was Theodore Hall. Okay. For over 50 years, only a handful of people in the Russian Secret Service knew that in 1944, Hall had become the second key spy in Los Alamos. He operated under the code name Lond, which is Russian for youth. Okay. He would be instrumental in handling key info from Los Alamos. His handler was Lona Cohen. She would often meet Hall in Santa Fe. Lona Cohen and her husband were the all-American spy couple. Right. There's an interesting story about her and how she was able to sneak a lot of uh, 
spy information. Right. He gave her notes, and obviously there was lots of security at Los Alamos in yeah. Area 51. So she was trying to leave. Mm. She put the documents in the bottom of a tissue box. Right. Put the tissues on top. Was about to board the train, and obviously the police officer was like, let me see your stuff. She's like, yep, here. Handed him the box of tissues. Yeah. Was letting him go through the thing, and then started to fake sneezing right she's like well allergies are really bad and he goes oh here you go and just gave her right back the box she put it right back in her hand he checked the bag off she went on the, on the train awesome yeah oh, that was pretty cool um the manhattan project was the most extensive secret operation in american history mm-hmm. lol now we know about all the aliens in area 51 yes in the race to build the bomb it was the utmost important to protect the breakthroughs from the spies scientists in different departments of los alamos were never allowed to communicate with one another unless specifically directed to. This was to ensure that if there was a leak, not all of the information would be compromised. Right. Another leak in the system uh, drew about David Greenglass, a Los Alamos mechanist to the communist spy ring. He brought out copies of designs of the atomic bombs, lens mold, and other info um, to the Soviets. He was not technically trained, uh, to figure out the scientific portions of it, but he could provide namely the materials that they were using because he was a mechanist. Right. This was extremely valuable. Another big leak came from Alan May in Canada. He originally worked on the atomic bomb in Britain and was later working in the U.S. until he later got reassigned in Canada. Okay. He was instructed by Russia to go and obtain uranium-235, a near-impossible task. One day, May asked to see his handler. Upon meeting his handler, he held up a small glass tube. The Soviet agent asked what it was. May told him, it's uranium-235. The agent knew no matter what, he had to deliver this to Moscow. The fragile test tube was sewn into a special belt. A Russian courier then took it and tied the belt around his waist, his bare stomach, under his shirt to hide it. He then flew to Moscow, delivered the tube to an escort waiting at the airport. Until the day he died, the courier, who is Colonel Moulton, suffered severe radioactive burdens. Yeah, I Just believe from, it. Yeah. Having the test tube on him for like a couple hours. Yeah. yeah. In May 1945, Germany surrendered. Yay! Yay! Their race for the nuclear weapon was now over. Allied scientists were obviously relieved, but in the Far East... With, with Japan and tensions were rising there between Stalin and the rest of the Western allies. Mm-hmm. Lona Cohen went back to Los Alamos to meet with Hall. The American scientists were completing preparations for the explosion of their first atomic bomb. This time, Hall provided her with details specific to the finished bomb. He also told her that the first detonation would be on July 16th in the, in the middle of the desert. He added that if the tests were successful, that the bombs might be dropped on Japan. And why Japan? Like, they just came on board. Well, Japan was a part of World War II. I know. They were with Germany. Yeah, but the reason why... Well, when Germany surrendered, Japan kept fighting. And Uh, also, Japan then hit Pearl Harbor. Right. And America was like, we need to end this, right? Right. Um, On July 16th, 1945, Theodore Hall had reported the U.S. successfully tested the atomic bomb. And it was successful. On August the 6th, 1945, Colonel Paul Tibbets flew a modified B-29 bomber, the Ebola Gay, over Japan. At 8.15 a.m., the Mabardier released an atom bomb nicknamed Little Boy on Hiroshima. The 9,000-pound weapon, 
9,000 pounds. Wow. Killed 78,000 people and injured another 69,000. That's an insane number. Yep. Like 9-11 was like four or 5,000 or something, which is still insane. Yep. Three days later, a second bomb named Fat Man was dropped on Nagasaki. Almost (sighs) equally horrific results, 40,000 dead and 25,000 injured. Wow. Japan capitulated. (laughs) I'm having a hard go. (laughs) Japan capitulated. Fearful of the results witnessed in Japan, Stalin pulled out all stops to catch up with the Americans and their nuclear might. Pressures were put on the Soviet scientists to quickly and drastically make results. They were directed to succeed or die. God. Many scientists were presented with two lists. One list with all the rewards and treasures if they were to be successful. The other, the tortures and punishments, including execution, if they were to fail. What a different country that is. Mm -hmm. In America, they're like, guys, you almost got it. Well done. (laughs) Take another 15, guys. (laughs) The scientists, however, had one advantage. The Secret Service was already incredibly successful in gathering intel. Mm -hmm. Mm. Stalin knew quickly that the bomb was useless without the capability to actually transport it. At that time, the Soviet Union did not have a long-range bomber. Um, Designing one would obviously take years, so to save time, Stalin demanded all of his agents to go and direct and steal the plans and designs for the same B-29 bomber that was used to carry the atomic bombs to Japan. So once again, they were incredibly successful. Upon getting the plans, the engineer hired to construct the B-29 in Russia asked Stalin if he could modify certain parts of the plane. Stalin replied that he wanted a direct copy of the American B-29. To which the engineer responded, would you like us to paint the American stars on the wings as well? (laughs) Right? A sarcastic mark that could have easily cost him his life. The delivery plane was now ready. Eventually, more spies provided the rest of the intel that the Soviets needed to complete their first atomic weapon. The first ever Soviet atomic bomb was an exact copy of the first American bomb. The first test was scheduled for August 29th, 1949. My wedding anniversary. 1949? Many years before. Yeah. The test had been a success. The success of the Soviet atomic bomb was a triumph for both the Soviet scientists, but more so the Soviet intelligence agency. Right. As mentioned uh, in We Didn't Start the Fire, there were many Soviet spies that were either put in jail or executed for treason within the U.S., Yes. The U.S. knew that after the plights of the war, it would take Russia a decade or two to catch up to them. They knew once that Russia succeeded in creating the bomb, it was because of leaks in their intelligence agencies. Mm. Once Russia succeeded in creating their first nuclear weapon, it started what was named the Cold War. And that lasted many years and caused unnecessary tensions between Russia and the U.S. Cold War and that there was no battles. Yes. It was a war that there wasn't actually exactly like you said. Yeah. There were minor ones like in like the Bay of Pigs, for instance. Yes. But there was no like world war onslaught. No. Yeah. Um, Robert Oppenheimer. And there weren't like American troops like running around Russia fighting. No, 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 no. no, It was just like it was a political battle basically it was more so of a political battle yeah with tensions being like at any moment we could send an army or yeah well it was it was literally the push and pull of communism yeah like within korea vietnam and cuba the cuban missile crisis that's all a part of the cold war right yeah um robert oppenheimer was quoted on july 16th after the very first successful test of the atomic bomb 
He quoted a Jewish scripture in saying, Now I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Oh my God. Yeah. So that is... Those the people man- don't know they're going to be quoted. But like, I'm sure he couldn't say something crazier than that. No. Well, that's how he felt. That at yeah. first it was just like scientific to try to figure out how to split yeah. an atom. And, like the and then afterwards they were yeah. like, no, we are going to use this technology and kill hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. And so, yeah. That wow. is the Manhattan Project and a relationship between the Manhattan Project and Russian spies. There's a lot of, I guess, controversy between... Uh, whether Russia would have ever came up with their atomic bomb right, without if it help. wasn't the Americans getting there first and them just stealing all the information. Yeah. The reality is they probably would have gotten there. It just would have taken them way longer. Yeah. And I know it caused the Cold War, but I'm kind of glad that it did outside of all of the deaths and tensions and yeah. stuff like that. Because imagine if the U.S. had nuclear capabilities for let's say a decade or even a decade and a half before any other country could. Yeah. Let's just say that happened. Yeah. How much devastation do you think that could have caused? Like if the yeah. US said, you know what? Look at what we have. These are our, our demands. Yeah. It's like the sentence I said, like almost first off. Oh, yeah, potentially they, they definitely could. Yeah. Like they could be like, oh. But then you get, see, like you you can and you can't. Like you could they could do that. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, well then the rest of the world will unite against you. Like you've only got so many nukes. You can't hit everywhere in the world at the same no, time. No, I know, but like let's say they said, Okay, so we just conquered Japan. Right. Well now we're gonna say, Well now we want to go back at Germany or something. Yeah. Whatever it is. It's like now instead of Germany being like, Let's go to war, they go, mm, we probably shouldn't because we just saw what we did to Japan and right. we're not there yet. Yeah. Like they just had this power yeah. that no one else did yeah but now that because russia got there sooner yeah it created this this stead like yeah. nobody fought no exactly and that was, yeah. that's what the cold war was yeah. everybody was too afraid of this nuclear apocalypse yeah so the u.s didn't actually have that much of a competitive advantage yeah to be able to dominate and monopolize the world so i no, think yeah. like you know there's some positive there yeah <clears throat> maybe maybe well there's no positive in nuclear weapons but but that being said like we haven't had a similar world war since. No, this is true. There have been many outbreaks. But it's like it's the weird, you know, it's it's the same argument in a way as the gun control argument. Yeah. Like if he has a gun, I want a gun. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if neither of you have guns, neither of you need guns. Exactly. But it's like someone's going to have one. Well, here's the thing. It's the other the other side of that argument is if I want guns, then the other person wants guns. Yeah. If there were no guns, they would fight with their fists. Yeah. But if they both have guns, they're not going to fight anymore because they know it's easy for one to shoot the other and the other will shoot the other as well. And then they both are dead. In the context of the nukes, yes. But with the guns, yes. it doesn't work. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so your analogy works for the thing you were trying to be an analogy for, yes. but the actual analogy didn't make sense. <laughs> I don't know what you'd call that. I don't know what I'd call it either. Santa, Blitzen and I were playing reindeer games, and Blitzen said that moose lose their antlers in the winter after mating season, and then regrow them? That's not right, right? Well, Donner, let me start with Donner. Don't even know her. (laughs) I usually refer questions about things I should know, but don't, to Jeff and Evan. Um, Santa... 
Who are Jeff and Evan? Donner, are you trying to say that like virtually everyone on the planet, you too have not sent in your questions to Splainin the podcast? This is the first I'm hearing of it, Santa, but this is excellent. Perhaps they could explain why when I eat asparagus, my... Oh, ho, 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 Donner, let's save that one for the boys. If you simply email them at info.splainin at gmail.com, they can answer all of your questions. Explaining the podcast cannot be held accountable for argument, injury, or wrongful death due to misinformation or misinterpretation. All persons and parties involved in explaining the podcast are not liable for breaching copyright, nor do they acknowledge standard definitions of the words fact, truth, or correct. No lawyers were present in the making of this statement. Well, then, for something entirely different, the human ear. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to do the whole thing like it's like a documentary. The human ear. Um, well, I wanted to do this because my really good friend Mark had this instance. We were over to his house for dinner a couple weeks ago. And he was telling me about he had this like ear. T- 24-hour period where he got out of bed and he was like, whoa, the room is spinning and weirdly. Hit the floor. Instant vomit. Wow. Could not stop. Couldn't open his eyes. Anytime he opened his eyes to look, the room was spinning so crazily that he just instantly threw up constantly. Urgent, 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 over and over and over. That's so crazy. Meg called the ambulance. Ambulance came and took him to the hospital, and they couldn't get him to stop throwing up at the hospital. Anytime he opened his eyes, he was just like, super messed up. Apparently, one of the crystals in his ear was dislodged. I didn't know there were crystals in your ears. No. There are. Mm-hmm. And when one gets dislodged, it can you do toss that to you. Yeah, and like, and can't like, you can't move because you're you think anyway. I'll I'll tell you why in a second. Anyway, recently the same thing happened to Robin. Yeah, similarly. Yeah, I think it might have been the same thing. Yeah, we're not really sure. She didn't get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, she didn't go to a jewelry store and get it. <laughs> no, didn't get ejected, appraised. Um, <laughs> so then, so I was like, I'm gonna do the ear, or whatever. So then I was talking to Meg, Mark's partner, and I was like, I think. Um, I'm, I'm going to do the ear this week on the podcast or something. I can't remember why I said it. She said, I just did a lecture in vocal pedagogy where I explained the ear to students. And I was like, can you send me your PowerPoint? <laughs> well done. <laughs> and she did. So I must give her credit because I took a lot of stuff verbatim. Um, so first, let me give you a rundown of the anatomy of the ear. Yeah. So the purpose of all this is to get to the crystals. Okay. So there are three main sections, the outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear. Wow. The outer ear collects and transmits sounds to the middle ear. Middle ear mechanically amplifies and transfers sound to the inner ear. The inner ear maintains balance and converts sound vibrations to nerve impulses that are sent to your brain. Go on. Yes. So the outer ear also has three parts. There's the auricle or the pinna, which is like this whole thing. That's what I keep telling. I keep calling my ear the pinna. Yeah. And Catherine's like, that's not what it's called. Like, it's literally called the yeah. pinna. Every part you can see is the yeah. pinna. That's um, what I say. Catherine? Lobes and all. The pinna. Uh, like, the lobe is a part of the pinna. Mm. The lobe is a part <laughs> of the pinna. <laughs> um, there are a bunch of specific names, like specific elements of the pinna, but they're all fairly relevant to our purposes, so I'm not going into them. Oh. The important thing is that the curve, the helical shape, actually part of it is called your helix, um, funnels sound further into the ear. That's why it's curved in the way that it is. Yeah. It's essential due to the difference in pressure inside and outside your ear. In order for sound waves to enter the ear in the best possible way, the resistance must not be too high. So that's just evolution, striking again and making yeah. our ears curved in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they weren't always. Nope. 
but like those who weren't couldn't hear the boulder rolling down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones trying yeah. to get away with his yeah. air crystals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then, past the pinna, there's the auditory canal, which is like, you know, if you stick your finger in your ear right now, that's where it is. Mm. Um, it's about 25 millimeters long. Yeah, and about three kilometers from the Suez Canal. Yes. <laughs> And if a train is going down the Suez Canal <laughs> at approximately 25 kilometers an hour, um, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's the canal leading to the rest of the ear. But this part broke me. In order prote- to protect the eardrum, the auditory canal is slightly curved, making it more difficult for insects to reach the eardrum. I read that sentence like... That never needed to be said. Never. Like, I can't not scratch my ear right now. No. Likewise, earwax helps keep out unwanted materials like dirt, dust, and insects. Well, isn't that what earwax is? It's just a collection of dirt, dust, and nonsense collected by the ears uh, and just, like, ends up clumping together? I don't know the answer to that. Isn't that the same thing as, like, mucus and boogers? Like, the reason why you have boogers. May- no, Well, maybe. that's why you have nose hairs and ear yes. hairs, yes. hairs is to stop particles from traveling up. Yes. And they eventually collect. Maybe that is what my... Because the not rockets. Keeps it anyway, I don't know. But I'll never, like, I'm, as you know, a Q-tip user. Do you know this about me? Yes. Yeah, constant. Um, I, I'm going to stop. Yeah, you're After not reading that to. Sen- no, I know. But, like, I've been told that my whole life. Yeah. I have been in an emergency room on Christmas Day with a Q-tip coming out of my ear that I couldn't get out. <clears throat> on Christmas Day. I wasn't a child. I was 22 years old. I did not know this. That's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, not the whole Q-tip just sticking out my ear. No. A piece of it had come off. It was a really cheap Q-tip. It wasn't a Q-tip brand. And the cotton thing came off inside my ear. Great job. Had to go to the hospital on Christmas Day. Um, Couldn't you get a pair of tweezers? Tried. It was in there. Oh, it was in there. I even looked up online. It was like, put some olive oil in your ear. Uh-huh. And then just like tilt your head. And usually like it'll start to enlarge and just like come out. Yeah. It was so far in. That didn't make a difference. No. They had Too to get, far they down had, the canal. They had to get like five inch tweezers that were like really small and, and just put the, the, in my ear. He's like, do not move while I do this. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, in addition to this, um, the ear canal aids as a natural hearing aid, amplifying low and less penetrating sounds of the human voice, making up for weaknesses in the voice making it, which is like, sure. dig, dig at that person, mm-hmm. makes it easier to understand conversation, which again is like evolution for humans. We converse, so we need to be able to hear that like specific range better than most animals. Yes. The eardrum is a tympanic membrane. The eardrum is very thin, about 8 to 10 millimeters in diameter, and is stretched by means of small muscles. Pressure from sound waves makes the eardrum vibrate and thus continues into the middle ear. Oh. The middle ear is an air-filled region that contains the three smallest bones in the human body. Mm-hmm. The malus, the incus, and the... The ear nodding makes me think you knew them. I did know the three of them. Well, you don't. Uh, anvil. No. Anvil is one of the like names that... It's the, the malus, the incus, and the stopus, oh. also known as the hammer, anvil, and stirrups. Yeah, so I wasn't wrong. Anvil is one of the bones. Yeah, but I had said the one that was anvil. You were missing the one that was stirrups. Oh. Um, which I just thought, like, those are their wrestling names. Like, you take your name, you're just like, I'm the hammer! Yeah. <laughs> um... These three bones form a kind of bridge that transmits the vibrations from the eardrum to the oval window. Um, Open 24 hours. (laughs) A membrane covering the entrance to the cochlea in the inner ear. The oval window functions as an acoustic transformer, amplifying the sound waves before they move on to the inner ear. Hmm. 
The pressure of the sound waves on the oval window is 20 times higher than that on an eardrum due to the size of the eardrum in comparison to the oval window. So the oval window is much smaller. Mm-hmm. We use the analogy of if someone wearing a heel steps on your foot, it hurts much more than if the surface of the shoe was um, larger, the surface area. Which to me felt like a really like specific example from the editor of the article. Like Very anecdotal. Frequent, like they how, knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've known that pain and you must share it with the world. Mm-hmm. The final part of the middle ear, the S... Mm, 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 Trinitro toluene. <laughs> Trinitro is what you said first. Eustachian. How do you spell it? E U S T A. Yep. C H I A N. Eustachian. Eustachian? Maybe. Tube. Connects the ear with Eustachian. the. Eustachian. Sure. Connects the ear with the rearmost part of the palate. I did not know this. Its function is to equalize the air pressure on both sides of your eardrum. That's it- why when you chew. It pops your ears. Yes. Ensuring pressure does not build up. The tube opens when you swallow, equalizing the air pressure inside and outside the ear. If pressure builds up on the eardrum, it doesn't vibrate properly, reducing your ability to hear properly, like on an airplane, because the air pressure outside your ear is constantly changing, which is why they say to swallow on a plane. Mm. Or chew Chew gum. gum. But in fact, the only reason they say chew gum is because you swallow a lot while you're chewing gum. It has nothing to do with, because your mouth has to open. It's not just the movement of your jaw. Wait, you have to swallow? It's not just a movement of your jaw? Yes. Finally, we have the inner ear. Once sound waves have entered the ear, the vibrations have hit the eardrum, vibrate through the hammer, the anvil, and onto the stirrups, and onto the oval window. The sound waves continue to the inner ear. The inner ear is a maze of tubes and passages composed of the vestibular labyrinth Mm -hmm. and the cochlea, which looks like a small snail. Yeah. Have you seen a picture of it? I have. It's really interesting. It really does look like a snail with its mouth going. Yeah. It's like the end of an organ. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or a wound up hose is another thing that apparently looks like. It's filled with a fluid called paralymph. It contains two closely positioned membranes that form a type of partition wall. I just want to add, I don't like the word membrane. I concur. For, For what membrane is... The word is not enjoyable. No. Yeah, I know. It, it's not. You're right. It makes me think of like alien, like like eggs covered over. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like in video games. Uh, <laughs> um, As you were. In order for the fluid to move freely in the cochlea from one side of the wall to the other, there is a little hole called the hilocotrema. Hilocotrema. <laughs> 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 Waving out the oval window. Uh. <laughs> that took you a second. That took you a second. <laughs> Waving out the oval window. That's funny. Hello, Katrina. <laughs> Dad, roll up the oval window. I'm getting cold. Hammer, you shot. Oh, funny. Um, the hole is necessary to ensure that the vibrations from the oval window are transmitted to all of the fluid in the cochlea. Mm-hmm. When the fluid moves inside the cochlea, thousands of microscopic hair fibers are put into motion. There are approximately 24,000 of those fibers arranged in four long rows. Which <laughs> is like, what? Why? How? Why? Four long rows. Like, what is it? The great hall of your inner ear. <laughs> Everybody's at their house table. 
What ear? What the next time the ear grows, it's like Gryffindor. It's like, excuse me, everybody. He has to go cross over to the next table. Uh, just weird. Four long rows. Mm-hmm. Anyway. In the cochlea, sound waves are transformed into electrical impulses, which are sent onto the brain. The brain then translates the impulses into sounds that we know and understand. Insane. Insane in the membrane. And finally, we've made it all the way in with our Q-tip of knowledge. Well done. Thank you. To the vestibular. The balance mechanism. Mm-hmm. It is the organ of equilibrium. Yes. It registers the body's movements, ensuring that we can keep our balance. It consists of three ring-shaped passages oriented in three different planes. All three passages are filled with fluid that moves in accordance with the body's motions. The semicircular canals can help control a type of movement, one each. Nodding up and down is one. Shaking from side to side is another. Or tilting left and right is another. (laughs) This may be. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Evan nodded up and down and then did back and forth as in saying no twice. But I did this one. That's like put your ear to your shoulder. What would we call that? That's the last one. Moving your oh, head I left did this. And right. Yeah, you said oh, no oh, twice. Oh, right, right, right. Um, they are filled with a fluid called endolymph. When uh, the head is rotated, it causes movement in the fluid of the canal, correlating with the plane of movement that occurred. This flows into the expansion of the canal called the ampulla, within which there are hair cells. At the top of each hair cell, there are a collection of tiny hairs called stereocilia. Mm. Which is like sound, stereo. Oh, well done. Um, the endolymph moves these stereocilia, which then send signals to the brain. Within the vestibular, which is now it's starting to feel very magic school bus, like we keep getting deeper, deeper, deeper. Like yeah, yeah, this visual yeah, yeah, keeps yeah, yeah, shrinking yeah, yeah. the bus, and you're like, uh-huh. no smaller. No. Arnold's really nervous. Um, but within the vestibular, there are two autolithic organs, the utricle and the saccule. These control forward and backward movements and gravitational forces. Okay. The ut- the utricle detects movements on the horizontal plane, while the saccule detects movements on the vertical plane. I hate saying sentences like that. I hate when you know, like you get the the utricle, the utricle detects movements on the horizontal plane, while the rest of the sentence is irrelevant. You know I'm going to say the other one does the other thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But you still have to finish the sentence. But the second I start speaking that second half, you're like, I know what you're going to say. I find that annoying. I hate it when people know how I'm going to end before I finish. Almost as much as I hate it when people actually finish my sentences. Boy, do I hate that. Do you well, know what I mean? I do, but I don't think I get that frustrated by it. I hate it so much. When the utricle and saccule... Um, sorry, within the utricle and saccule, hair cells detect movement when crystals of calcium carbonate called autoconia shift in response to it. Hmm. So should something happen to these tiny crystals to become dislodged, now all of a sudden they're floating around in your endolymph and bumping into the hair cells all over the place, sending signals to your brain that your body is moving and doing wacky stuff when you're not actually moving. Wow. Holy crap. Right? It's hitting the hair follicles that make your brain go, oh, you're moving to your left and falling down. And you're like, no, I'm not. You're like, yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> you are now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's insane. So it's like vertigo, nausea. Um, all those sorts of things come from this. So mo- and indigestion, upsyxnomic yeah. diarrhea. So mostly medical professionals don't know why this happens. Certainly there is a higher percentage of people with head trauma, but beyond that, they don't have any idea. They think maybe the crystals deteriorate with age and sometimes then fall or dislodge. Mostly they don't know. Wow. There is a treatment that you can do if this happens to you. <laughs> they need to I'm get... I'm just going to call bullshit no. right now because I just figured no. you're laughing. it's not. 
they need to get them out of wherever they've lodged themselves. So, like, if they're, like, hitting all the hairs and you're like, yeah. they need to get them out of there. So another part of your body will absorb it, but it can't absorb it if it's stuck in certain places of your ear. So they basically play a version of, like, those water-filled puzzles that you shake to line up the balls on the little thing. That is amazing. They basically do that. So, like, they lie you on your back, and then they, like, quickly get you to go on your side and then turn your head to the right. And then you hold that for 30 seconds. And then you, like, get on your back and then turn your head to the left or whatever. Like, <laughs> that's literally what they do. They describe, because it, it, you can go online and literally, like, do this at home. That for, is amazing. For people who suffer from vertigo. That is amazing. So you don't have to keep going back to your yeah. doctor. Slide to the left. Crisscross. Yep. <laughs> Crisscross. Crisscross. One, one hop this time. <laughs> Two hops this time. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, then I sort of get, started getting into, like, hearing loss. So, like, when I used to play Martini Bar and, like, Scott Mansfield is on my left playing drums really, really loud with a giant ride cymbal, mm. I would come home, my left ear would ring. So, I was like, why does that happen? Based on, like, all the parts of the ear I now know, what happens in one of them to make me my ear ring? So, hearing loss or hearing damage, or, do you already know the answer to this? Keep going. Okay. Hearing loss or hearing damage occurs when the hair cells riding that wave of cochlea, in the cochlea, gets damaged or eventually die. Woof. If there's too much vibration, like tsunamis just going on in the cochlea, then they can just die. In birds and amphibians, fun fact, hair cells grow back. In I'll, humans, they're gone for good. I was going to ask that. Yeah. It's like our hair, if you cut your hair, it grows back. Yeah. If those hair follicles die, gone. They just. But I think it's the same. Like think about the balding gene. If your hair follicles die in the front, like you can't get hair again. Isn't that how you go bald? I don't know. I feel like it's probably the same thing. Probably. I can't stop touching my ears and nose now that you've Sorry. said this. Um, so then, why do you hear ringing? You ask, Jeff. I did ask. Yeah. In the hairs in the inner ear. If, sorry, if the hairs in the inner ear send electrical impulses to the brain on a regular basis, and that's how we hear, right? Mm -hmm. If they are bent or broken, they leak random electrical impulses, resulting in you hearing a ringing that isn't actually there. Interesting. Because it's triggering those hairs. There are two types of hearing loss. Conductive, which is hearing loss due to mechanical problems in the outer or middle ear that prevent efficient mm -hmm. sound transfer to the inner ear. Yeah. Could be too much earwax. Literally, that's a thing. Sure. Ear infection arthritis of ear muscles. Normal or near-normal hearing can often be restored through hearing aids, corrective surgery, or a good ear cleaning. Mm. Not with a Q-tip. Nope. Sensory neural are um, ear um, hearing issues often due to exposure of loud noise. Very difficult to treat. So that's like when you've like gone deaf from listening yep. to loud things. Or like a gunshot wound or something like that. So I have for you... Not a gunshot wound, just a gunshot near your ear. Yes. the You know, when you're watching a movie and they sound of the grenades so i have examples for you because it's sort of fascinating and i do have it queued up ready to go so this is normal hearing okay this is just a um um a stock rock song that they had on the website excuse me So that's, that's kind normal of hearing, okay? Yep. If you have a conductive hearing loss of 30 decibels, this is what you hear. Oh, wow. Right? Significant, okay? So what like, what percentage of deafness or hearing impairment mm -hmm. does 30 decibels like? Is it like the average person? Like, like how I think it's like midway through because there's like 10, 20, and 30. Okay. So yeah, I think it's more sort of midway. So then 
um, if you have sensory hearing loss, this is severe sensory hearing loss. Isn't that crazy? I can't imagine that. It's all so muffled and the volume is like 10%. Wow. And that's as much as you hear. If you have tinnitus or tinnitus, um, you can hear this. Ah! Okay, sorry, sorry, so sorry. Or this. Wow, it's just static? Static. You hear static all the time. Oh, that would drive me. Can you imagine? Absolutely up the walls. Yeah. So, uh, like and then the the last thing with Meg's thing was um, the sing like how this relates to singing, which I just took this quote that I thought was super cool. So singers and voice teachers often underestimate the role of hearing in voice production, which is true. Like very rarely do you talk about hears, hears. Your hairs um, and your so hairs. here's a quote that Meg said that blew my mind. To make vocal sound, the brain must transform thought into physical action by sending signals through the central nervous system to the muscles responsible for breathing, phonation, and articulation. The ears and brain monitor the resulting sound to check for accuracy. Any deviations from the desired output are quickly and subconsciously corrected. This is called the auditory feedback loop. And I know that's just like a really like fancy way of saying you hear something and you can control that. Mm -hmm. But like all of the things that have to happen for you to like to sing, to sing a specific pitch in tune. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. A there's lot a of lot moving of moving parts. hair follicles. A lot. So many. So many. Four rows of 20,000. 24,000 total in four rows. Yeah. So 6,000 in a row. 525,000, 24,000 hair pieces. Are the rows even? How do they know there are rows? Do they count them? Have they counted them? How do they get to 24,000? Did someone, is that somebody's job? That's what I'm saying. It's, but like we said this before in an episode that there's always one person who learns the hard way or tests something. There's yeah. always one person who does this and then no one else has to do it ever yeah. again. One person spends. There's no short way to count hair follicles. No, they just counted them. Yeah. Right. But one person did it, but now no one ever has to do it again. Again. That's why they always say about or approximately because it's like I might have missed 30. Yeah. Like, I was getting tired <laughs> of Just say late. about 2,400 or 24,000. <laughs> Buddy. Uh, so anyway, that's it for the week. That's the ear. That's the ear for you. I love it. What a what a contrasting episode. Very contrast. Very contrasting. We have lots of uh, send-ins and stuff, and lots of fun holiday content coming up. Holiday content. This is the theme song for holiday content. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, please don't forget about our little contest that we have on the go. For You've got one more week. Is well, it, by the time you hear this, you have like three days. Yeah. Yeah. So please uh, follow the directions, which is to comment, like, and share the original post. That'll put you as entry. And then for bonus entries, you can um, send us a topic at info.splandon at gmail.com. Or you can rate and review us uh, on Apple Podcast. Or you can just, you know, let us know in person. Drive by the house and say, buys your wiggas. <laughs> Do drive by. Leave a cryptic note in the mailbox. Uh, well, that was a good summary of everything, I think, Jeff. It was. Um, to kind of circle back right back to the beginning, please go to the uh, Facebook sponsor page yep. for The Gathering Place. We're running it right up until uh, January-ish. Um, we don't know the December exact... December 31st. Oh, sorry. Yeah, December yeah. 31st will be the last day. I apologize. Um, as you should. And I will continue to. Good. So please uh, do that for us. 
Definitely. Not for us, for everyone else who needs it. That is correct. And it's a great Christmas spirit thing to do. Mm-hmm. Give, give, give. Um, we hope you learned something this week. And if you haven't, there's always next week. Spiden podcast. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to. <laughs> I couldn't if I tried. No. I don't think I can get through it once more. No.